Good morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 11. This morning we're returning to our sermon series, Miracle Making God Known. Um, the highlight and the goal of this series is to kind of just remind ourselves that one of the greatest miracle, maybe the greatest miracle in all of scripture, is that God desires to make himself known to us. Um, we're going to do this by looking at four different ways that God reveals himself through creation, compassion, justice, and provision. Uh, another goal of this is to help us to stop compartmentalizing, to stop having this disconnect. You know, oftentimes those of us who grew up in church, we grew up understanding this God of the Old Testament as someone who's just violent and virulent and vengeful and just extreme. And, and then we go on the other extreme and we see Jesus in the New Testament as love and, and grace and peace. And, and we just don't understand how they fit in. Well, one way to defeat this disconnect is to come back to what Scripture says. And what Scripture says is that Jesus is actually the full representation of God. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God. Jesus himself says, John, his best friend, looked at Jesus and says, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. If you've known Jesus, you've known the Father. Jesus himself in John 14 says, yeah, yeah, yeah. To see me is to see my Father. To know me is to know my Father. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this, throughout the time of history, God has spoken to us through the prophets, but now he's given us his son, who's the exact representation of who God is. Paul, when he writes to the Colossians, puts it this way, he says, the father was pleased to have his complete fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. So there is no different God. There's just a God that we don't understand quite well, but if we want to fully understand God, we have to begin with Jesus. Because the reminder and all this is that God is contextual. He was very contextual to the people in the Old Testament. He's very contextual to people in the New Testament. And here's the thing. He's very contextual to you. Now, I keep saying this. Who God was and who you needed God to be at seven sometimes changes when you're 17. Sometimes changes when you're 77 or 47. God is willing to be what you need to keep you and get you into the kingdom. God is very, very contextual because his ultimate desire is to meet you where you're at and to pull you to where he desires you to be. God reveals himself over time. We see that through our lives as well. But this morning, we're going to look at one of the great ways that God really, really reveals himself to us, and that's just through his compassion. I'll be reading John 11. We'll do verses 17 to 37. We'll also have it up front here so you can follow along as well um, if you do not have your Bible with you. John 11, 17 to 37. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. 
Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, cannot he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Let's pray together. Father, God, we thank you this morning that we do celebrate and, 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 and worship and, and lift up the God who is indeed the resurrection and the life. We thank you that you've conquered death once and for all. We thank you that through your conquering of death, you give us a hope of not just heaven, but a hope for, for today. God, we thank you that you're the great comforter. You promised to send your spirit to us to comfort us in our times of troubles. You promised to send your spirit to empower us to comfort others in their time of trouble. But this morning specifically, Lord, We thank you, we glorify you, we worship you, that you not only comfort us, but you weep with us, you mourn with us. Jesus wept and teaches us it's okay to weep too. In your holy and precious name, amen. So when we're talking about compassion, last couple weeks ago, we talked about God the Father being compassionate. We said that compassion is simply care, concern, consideration, and charity. Compassion is not just foundational to who the Father is. Compassion is foundational to who Jesus is. And the way we know this is that the people who follow Jesus, it's foundational to how they see him. Jesus was compassionate. In Scripture, it's compassion that leads him to give the blind sight. It's compassion that leads him to to heal the lame and to heal the sick. It's compassion that leads him to to take people who are demon-possessed and set them free from their demons. In life... We ourselves know that Jesus is compassionate. How many times in life do we sit back and remember the goodness of God? How many times do we cherish every breath that we breathe because it's the compassion of God to us? How many times do we reach back and think about being at our lowest and God picking us up and not only picking us up, but setting us back on the right path? How many times do we give thanks to God for compassion that saves us, that carries us, that holds us, even when we run away from him? Our God is compassionate, and we know it because this is how we know him. So because God is so compassionate and Jesus is so compassionate, it's kind of hard to find one story of Jesus being compassionate. Why? Well, if compassion is how his father reveals his hesed, the love that always does our good, then it makes sense that compassion is foundational in how Jesus reveals his heart. And the the, the New Testament and the early Christians call that not hesed, but agape. The love that's always working for our good. It's how God reveals his heart. See, it's Jesus' compassion that leads him to teach that the kingdom is here. It's God's compassion if you're able to realize that the world you see is not all there is. The world you experience is not all there is. The world that's all cracked up as it should be is not all there is. For the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is coming. It's Jesus' compassion that leads him to heal. It's Jesus' compassion that leads him to serve. And it's Jesus' compassion that leads him to save. And that just doesn't stop in Genesis 
or our Isaiah or our Matthew or Revelation. It's Jesus' compassion that even today heals, saves, picks us up when we're down, comforts us in our struggling, serves us, and it's his compassion that still saves us. It's Jesus' compassion that defines his life. You know, one of the most famous stories of Jesus is when he fed the 5,000 plus. I say 5,000 plus because they didn't include the women and children. So there's a good chance that he fed maybe 10,000 that day, maybe 15,000 that day. But what people forget about that story is that before Jesus shows compassion to feed those people, he had lost his cousin, his fellow worker, the one who set the stage for him, one of his best friends. John the Baptist made the mistake of looking at the political power and saying, your power means nothing, of saying, I'm not just offended by your immoral actions, but I don't believe that you should be in power because of your immoral actions. That's what John the Baptist did, and it cost him his life. Some of us are scared to call people out when they're not living right. John the Baptist put his life on the line. And he looked at his leaders and said, if you are not living the way God calls you to live, I am going to try to hold you accountable. John was a bold man and we just thought he liked to eat bugs. But it cost him his life. Jesus hears about the death of his cousin, one of his best friends, his fellow ministry worker, and he is grieving. He knows the pain of losing someone close to you. And we all deal with grief differently. And this time, all Jesus wanted to be was alone. So he goes to a solitary place. And the people don't know how to support him, but they see him going away and they just follow him along. And in the midst of his grief, I want you to hear this because this is how amazing our God is. In the midst of his grief for a family member, for a friend, for a ministry worker, for his cousin and brother. In the midst of his grief, he looks at the people following him and has compassion on them. And he leaves that solitary place. And he comes and he heals their sick. And when that wasn't enough, the disciples get to him and they said, Lord, um, we did a little count here. We have a little bit more than than 5,000 people or 8,000 people or 10,000 people. And, and you know, it's almost dinner time. so, So it's probably time for them to, like, go home now. And Jesus said, and he's so moved with compassion for the people who are following him around. He basically says, what do we have? And remember the little boy, the five loaves and the two fish, the great reminder that anything you have to give to God can be used for God's glory. And everyone matters in the kingdom because there's nothing too small that God cannot use. There's no one too small that God cannot use. There's no faith in Jesus too small that God cannot use. All you need is a mustard seed or a little lunch. All you need is some faith or Jesus Christ. And with that five loaves and two fish, Jesus feeds 5,000, 10,000, maybe 15,000. And he even has leftovers, just like every good HBIC meal. It's compassion that told God, the Father, for the people to build the temple. 
And remember when he said about the temple, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. It wasn't for Israel and its glory. It was so Israel can be a light to the world, just like we are to be a light to the world, to everybody come in. And hear me on this. It's compassion that leads Jesus to walk into that temple when the money lenders, when the money lenders are not just selling in God's house, but they're selling in the place for the strangers, for the foreigners, for the illegals, for the aliens. That's where they were selling because they said they didn't matter. And it's compassion that moves Jesus to flip the tables. Our God has compassion on everyone. Our God doesn't have aliens in his kingdom. Our God doesn't have foreigners in his kingdom. Our God was a refugee himself, and he has passion for refugees. And it's compassion when we're doing things to keep God's people out. God is willing to flip tables. When we're doing things to keep people from Jesus Christ, God's compassion moves them because we are to be the light of the world. Don't just remember that Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Before he left, he said, you are the light of the world. And if you're not shining for the world, and please hear this this morning, because our faith sometimes tells us that we need to shine for God or we need to shine for ourselves. No, 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 no. Jesus wants you to shine for the world because when they see you, they'll see him, they'll see his father, they'll come back home. We need to shine our light wherever we are. It's compassion that leads Jesus to the temple because it wasn't just going to be a house of prayer. It was going to be home for all the nations. And as Christians, it's compassion that leads Jesus to the cross. It's not just his deep love for us, for oh, how he loved us. It's not just that we couldn't do it on our own. It's because he so loved us. And he so knew we couldn't do it on our own that he was the only one. When he stood before the Father and says, not my will, but your will be done, it's Jesus' compassion that leads to our salvation. Compassion is fundamental to understanding who God is. And for all of us in this room, I bet compassion is how you're introduced to Jesus Christ. Most of us didn't get argued into the kingdom. Most of us, you know, I've met one, three people in my life, you know, who literally the one person opened the Bible in Genesis, closed it in Revelation, says, I believe Jesus is the son of God. And I thought that was a little while in time at the second person who did the same thing. So it happens. But for the rest of us, it's love that brings us into the kingdom. It's the people who love and follow Jesus pouring their love into us that brings us into the kingdom. And coming into the kingdom is just our entry point, but that's our introduction to who God is. And it's compassion because God is always willing to meet us where we're at. And here's the beauty of God's compassion is that it always surprises us. It's always above and beyond what we ask or think. Paul to the Ephesians says this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. It's God's compassion that carries us through. Now it's been a very hard week 
hard couple of weeks, like Pastor Esty said. And I was thinking about all the ways that God has showed up. Thinking about all the people who've been praying. Feeling the strength of all the prayers. Seeing the love poured out onto the Smith family and the love poured out to the Washington family. And I've been thinking about all the ways this church has just loved and poured God's compassion. But this week I was reminded of something. You know, in life, I, I think I have one of those faces where people just assume they like to give me advice. And ever since I was a kid, I get advice. And, and I, I've learned really good to, to, to take advice, you know. And, and some Pastor Linda taught me, you know what, take it all and just sift it and take whatever you think is good. And that saved my life because people give me advice all the time, you know. One of the first advice I remember was, um, we'll call this person Joe. It's not my brother who I grew up with or nothing. This is just a name that I picked, right. But when I was in middle school, this person we'll call Joe told me that my shoes were so beat up that the polish ran out that I should put some Vaseline on my shoe to bring it back to life. You know, I was like 10 or 11. I looked at the shoe. I was like, let's try it, you know? Put Vaseline on the shoe, and it was shiny. It looked good for about three seconds until I walked outside on that fall day, and the dirt started sticking to the Vaseline on my shoe, and I was looking at it, and I just said, I don't like you, Joe. <laughs> so sometimes we get advice, and it's not very good. Sometimes we get advice, though, and we should listen to it, right? I told this story last night, but I'm going to tell it again. You know, when I was in high school, I had a, one of my, my, my best friend growing up had this neighbor who just didn't like kids, you know? And it wasn't like we were a rowdy bunch. We were good kids. We were the best kids, you know? Of course. Um, but this neighbor was just very mean, you know? It's just like every time we went there, she just had to put us in our place, and we're like, we're just here, you know? So naturally, that, that gave us some feelings towards this neighbor. Well, it was, uh, it was a very hot summer day, you know? It was a summer night, and we had a third floor porch, and we're sitting on the porch just baking in the heat, you know? It's one of those hot summer nights that, like, the air conditioning doesn't seem to work, and you just want to go outside to get that fresh air, and you're, like, you're fighting just for the breeze to touch your face. And I remember looking over and seeing the neighbor's nice blue pool. I think to myself, man, if only this neighbor was nice, she could let us go for a dip. And one of my friends must have just read my face because he's like, I bet if we tell Henry to jump in that pool, he'll do it. And then my best friend being the sensible one was just like, please don't tell him to do that. Please don't tell him to do that. And that's all I need in the conversation. I looked at the pool. I was just like, you're right. Why are we baking in this heat? You know, without thinking twice about it from the third floor, I get to the net. I look over and I was like, ooh, this could be a problem. Because you see, you had my best friend's fence. Then you had the neighbor's fence. Then you had a little bit of clearance. Then you had the deep end. And we're on the third floor, so there's not much room. So it was a faith exercise, and maybe I was just hot, you know? So I jumped off, and I leapt over both fences, landed in the deep end. The neighbor was eating dinner. I pulled up, waved high, jumped over the fence, and I felt better about it. <laughs> but I'm not telling you to do that because sometimes you got to listen to advice. Uh, Linda says I tell you not to do it, but I trust the Spirit. The Spirit can lead you. But here's the thing, though. Sometimes there's advice that you don't know how good it is until it hits you in the face. One of the best advice I ever got before I took this position as senior pastor, Pastor Woody said to me, you know, one of the things you need to do is you're going to need to pray and pray and pray some more. And when you're thinking about these sermons, you know, one of the things that's going to shock you time and time again is how many times exactly what God lays on your heart is exactly what the congregation needs to hear. Now, I want you to understand something. I try my best to plan these sermons ahead of time. 
I try my best to come up with themes and ideas and outlines ahead of time. So the genesis of this sermon started months ago. And then maybe towards the end of August, I try to map out when I'm going to preach everything. When this is going to go, this is going to go, this is going to go. But I don't believe in coincidences like this. Because what a week we've had for us to come this morning and hear our God is compassionate. What a week we have when we've been mourning and crying and broken to be reminded that our God is mourning and crying and broken and he's compassionate for us. Our God is compassionate. That's one of the things that sets Jesus apart. When you meet Muslims and you ask about Muhammad, the first word is never compassion. When you meet, you know, people who follow Buddha and ask about Buddha, it's never compassion. Jesus is compassionate. And that's why I love John 11. Because it's a reminder that not only God will comfort and bless those who mourn, but it's a reminder that God himself mourns too. So when you're broken and you're tired and you're struggling, be reminded that our God is not just with you. He's crying with you. He's crying with you as he carries you, as he picks you up, as he gets you back to where you need to be. See, in John 11, this story with Lazarus is best understood almost in three acts. You see, in act one, Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha, his sisters, they send word to Jesus, hoping that Jesus could come because they know Jesus is a great healer. The second thing we learn about Lazarus is that he's deeply loved by Jesus. He's loved by Jesus. And we go back in the other parts of the gospel, we learn that Mary, what a testimony she is. Mary is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying it's one who follows him. I'm saying she's the one who sat at his feet. In a culture that would say, you're a woman, you know, go to the kitchen. You know, we're so advanced now, we would never do such a thing now, right? Because we're so advanced today, right? But in her culture, that wanted her in the kitchen, she sat at the feet of the master to hear from Jesus himself. So when I say Mary was a disciple, I don't just mean a follower. I mean someone who was willing to sit at the feet. Whatever Jesus gave, she was willing to take. That's who Mary was. And you remember Mary as the one who took that alabaster box, that expensive perfume that probably could have fed the poor and done all these things. And, and she, she anointed Jesus with it. And then she used her own hair to wash his feet. Jesus had a special relationship with Lazarus, with Mary, but also with Martha. And I want you to hear this because I think Martha gets a bad rap. I think Martha gets a really bad rap because we're like, well, Mary's at the feet and Martha's too busy. I don't know about you, but when someone that you deeply love comes to your house, more than likely you want to have food for them. More than likely you want them to have a place to sit. More than likely you want them to, to actually feel welcome, not that they're intruding on you. And I think we, we, we look at Mary and Martha and we make them opposites. You know, we make them like, well, Mary's holier because she sat at the feet of Jesus. Our God makes everything holy. And it's not about where you sit next to God. It's about your heart. And I think the more I study Martha, I don't just see her as mistranslated, but I see that we miss her heart. She was doing her best with what she thought had to be done. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. Because Martha had faith in Jesus no matter what. 
And you see it in this passage when she goes to Jesus, right? Think about the society and culture that she would leave the grieving place to go out to the master and look Jesus in the eye and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. But I still trust you because you pray to God and he'll do whatever you ask. That is faith. Don't mess Martha's faith because you think she was too busy. She had faith too. But here's the other thing that's happening in this story that we always sometimes forget. Jesus had his other disciples who had been traveling around with him. See, at the end of John 10, Jesus makes a few bold claims, one of which is that he's God. Another one is to see Jesus is to see God. And another one is that he's the God of the world. Everyone who wasn't his disciple wasn't too keen on that. They didn't like it. In fact, they were going to stone and kill him there, and he had to sneak out of town. So when Jesus is going back to Judea, and he's going back to Bethany, and he's going back to Lazarus' house, the disciples are like, Lord, <laughs> yeah, um, they try to kill you. We know you can heal. You know, we got stories of you just saying stuff and people being healed. Like, do we have to physically go there? Can't you just give the word? You know, like, we're good. But at the end, you see their faith. You know, a lot of times we pick on the disciples for running away, right? But this is one time where they looked Jesus in the eye and they said, you know what? We're just going to go and die with him too. That's what he's walking to going back to Bethany, a world that wants to kill him. But our God's compassion for one, for one Lazarus, for one Mary and Martha, makes him ignore his own health and life to go back to make God known. The second act of the story is our passage this morning, verses 17 to 37. Lazarus has been dead for four days. In that culture, they would bury you after the first day. So um, I don't see Karen Daly. Karen's here. Ask Karen Daly about these old BIC stories when they thought people were dead and then they'd resurrect. It's fun stories, you know. Sometimes they're on the horse and buggy going to the, 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 the grave site and the person just sits up, you know. But in this story, I'm dead serious. You can ask her. It's true stories. But in that story, they've been dead four days, and they've been dead dead. Like, they're really dead this time, right? Like, no one's confused about comas or nothing. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> dead dead. Mary stays at home grieving. And again, we can contrast Mary and Martha, but we shouldn't oppose Mary and Martha because we all deal with grief differently. Martha just needed to get stuff done. You know, like she needed to just get stuff done and keep moving. And that's okay. Like, don't run from your feelings, but sometimes you react differently. Mary actually is the traditional one in this sense. Because in the Jewish culture, even to this day, they have something called Shiva. And Shiva is seven days of mourning where you stay at home. And, and some people actually sit on the floor and your friends and family gather around you and you mourn. And that's what Mary's doing. She's practicing Shiva. You know, part of the Shiva that's even wilder than that is that you would dress plainly for three weeks. You know, we think wearing black to a funeral or something. You do that for three weeks. And here's a fun one. For a year, anything that counts as adornment or adornment, you have to swear off. So I don't know what you consider adornment when you get dressed, you know? I don't know what you consider extra that you get dressed with, but you would have to swear that off for a year in response or in, 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 in memory of this person who died. So Mary is at home grieving, and I love Martha's faith. She could sit in her grief or she'd go to Jesus. 
but a reminder to us. We can sit in our grief, or we can go to Jesus. And she goes to Jesus, says, if you had been here, my brother would be alive. God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus says, Lazarus will rise again. And Martha now goes to the tradition and says, yeah, yeah, no, we believe. We're good Jews. You know, we believe that on the last day, you know, God will rise everyone. And Jesus says, oh, that's great that you believe that. But do you believe that I am the resurrection, that I am the life? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And Martha's great faith says, yes, Lord, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who God has sent to save us. You see her great faith. And again, with grief, God deals with all of us differently. That's how he restored Martha, was he took her faith that sort of was a little bit small, a faith in traditional Jewish religion, and he takes that faith and grows it the faith in him again to say it's not just about the last day, it's about me. Do you believe me? And that's how he restored Martha. That's how he had compassion on her. But then there's Mary. Martha sends for her sister. She says, get off the floor. The master is here. Stop sitting in your grief. The master is here. Take it to Jesus. And, and, and Mary gets up, and, and all the people who had gathered to grieve with her, they go off, and, and they go. They think she's going to Lazarus' tomb, but she runs to the place where Jesus was at. And she says the same thing her sister did. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus looks her. And he sees her crying. He sees her weeping. He sees the throes of people around her crying and weeping. And as a kid, I got to confess, I thought this was the greatest verse in the Bible because it got me a piece of candy and it was two words. Jesus wept. But I now value those two words more than just about any other two words in Scripture. Because it shows that the God of this universe feels like we feel. It shows the God of this universe can be moved by what we're going through. It shows that the God of the universe isn't just so loving and untouching, but he's able to sit with us in our grief and feel our grief and lift us up out of our grief. It shows the God of the universe weeps with us. He weeps with us. He weeps with us. And Jesus wept. And from his grief, they sit back and they said, wow, he must have really loved him. And at the, the, the end of the story, maybe we'll save this for Easter, but the stone gets rolled away. Jesus says this great prayer where he says, you know, Lord, I know I've been talking to you, Father, but I'm going to ask you again so these people can actually be benefited. Right? Like Jesus, is, he cracks me up because he's just like, Lord, I know what you're going to do, Father. I know you're going to raise them up, but these people need to see it so they can believe. It's for their benefit, not my own. And what a reminder to us about how we are to live. How much times are we asking God to do stuff for my benefit? Jesus himself asked to do stuff for the benefit of others. And Jesus calls out, and Lazarus answers. I don't know what a four-day dead man he sounds like, but he answered, and he comes to the door. And in one of the greatest verses in the Bible, Jesus says what? Take off your grave clothes. And there's so much we can do to unpack that. We'll do that sometime, but just know that when you're dying or in darkness and Jesus resurrects you, it's not just about his love that brings you in, but Jesus asked you to take off grave clothes too. Because there's grave clothes of identity. 
That's grave clothes of what we think matters. That's grave clothes of, of what we think Jesus should be like or God should be like. That's grave clothes from this world that we take as wisdom and this world that we take as godly and it's not. And Jesus says, if I'm the resurrection and the life, if I'm the Lord of the universe, take off your grave clothes too. And if you don't take off the grave clothes of this world, you may be invited into the kingdom, but you'll still stink. We'll unpack that some other time. But Jesus, the compassionate, is something we need to hold on to because his compassion always moves him to act. Jesus' compassion is always particular. How he shows compassion to Mary is different than how he shows compassion to Martha, is different than how he shows compassion to Lazarus, is different than how he shows compassion to his disciples, is different than how he shows compassion to you, to you, to you, to me. Jesus' compassion is always particular because our God is the God of you and the world at the same time, meaning that whatever you need is what he'll be to save you. His love and the compassion is always particular to you. Jesus' compassion, though, also reveals God. That's why he's compassionate, to reveal his Father. And probably the best part about compassion to me is that Jesus' compassion brings us back to life. You might feel dead this morning. You might feel heavy this morning. You might feel alone this morning. You might feel broken this morning. But God's compassion is here. God's compassion is for you and God's compassion can resurrect you and bring you to new life because he is the resurrection and the life. God wants you breathing and living and thriving. As long as you're on this side of heaven, there's work for you to do and God is here to give that compassion to do his work. No compassion makes God known. So if those are the four things that Jesus' compassion does, how we make it apply to us, Jesus reveals the Father. We can reveal Jesus by how we live in love. So if Jesus' compassion moves him to act, guess what God's compassion is supposed to do to you? It's supposed to move you to act. It's not just enough to feel. It's not just enough to acknowledge. You have to act on God's compassion. This world needs it. This world's cold. This world's hungry. This world's dying. This world needs God's compassion. God's left his spirit, and the spirit is always working. Are you? God's compassion must move you to act. And if Jesus' compassion is particular, your compassion needs to be particular. You know, one of the things you, I've learned as a parent is, you know, you love your children, but how you love them is changes because their personalities are different. You can apply that same lesson to the people in your life. The compassion and love you need to give this person might be different than the compassion and love you need to give to this person. Just like God's compassion is particular to what that person needs and what's best for that person, that's how our compassion has to be. Because the world is not monolith. The world is not the same. People don't have the same needs, but they need the same compassion. And if Jesus' compassion reveals God, then we need to pray that whatever compassion God puts inside of us reveals God to our world. And the last one, if Jesus' compassion brings us back to life, we must remember and we must pray and expect that God's compassion in us and through us will bring our world back to life. If you're tired of complaining that the world is not as it should be, awesome. Let God's compassion 
let you bring it alive. If you're tired of complaining that the world is broken, great, welcome. Let God's compassion use it to bend it back again. If you're tired of complaining that the world is so dark, great, you see the darkness, you're the light. Let God's compassion shine the light on you. This morning we're going to have communion. I'd like to invite the ushers to get ready. Communion will be up front this morning. We now invite you to come to this table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify, not that you're perfect, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come, not because you're strong, but because you're weak. Not because you have any claim on heaven's rewards, but because in your frailty, you stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and help. Now that the supper of the Lord is spread before you, lift up your minds and hearts above all selfish fears and cares. Let this bread and this cup be to you the witness of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, which in the Jewish Passover feast is called the cup of blessing, and he told his disciples, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you that your compassion saves us. We thank you that your compassion resurrects us. We thank you that your compassion gives life to not only us, but to our world. Lord, we now come to this table grateful for your free sacrifice, your willing sacrifice, your loving sacrifice. For this reminder that the blood that flowed on Calvary will always matter than even the blood that flows in our veins. For this reminder that God's love is always here. For this reminder that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come back to you. Today is the day to come to the table. So, Lord, we pray if there's anything that's keeping us from the table this morning, that we take this time to confess it to you. Lord, we thank you that through your body, through your blood, we are made yours and yours forever. Thank you for your compassion and love for us. Please join me in a communion response. My sisters and brothers, this bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And now the cup of blessing. My sisters and brothers, this cup of blessing which we bless is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? As you're ready, please come to the table. I could not climb 
In desperation, I turn to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living Who could imagine such great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. With Jesus Christ, my living home. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living I'd like to invite up any intercessor, all the intercessors up front and any pastors up front. Um, we're going to close by singing a song, Beautiful Things. Um, just a beautiful reminder about how our God makes beautiful things out of dust, how our God makes beautiful things out of us. So no matter where you are this morning, God's compassion is here for you. God's love is here for you. 
Um, I hope you not only feel it, but I hope you walk and live in it. So please come up. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for anything you got going on or anything that you'd want us to know. We want to pray for you, not just today, but also throughout the week. So let's stand and sing together beautiful things, and the altar is open for prayer. All this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find my way. I wonder if my life could really change All this earth, the
reveals our God and our Jesus to the world around us. God, we pray for this world that's so dark and broken in need of healing. We thank you that there's no darkness that you cannot conquer with your love and compassion. We thank you there's no brokenness you cannot heal with your love and compassion. And we thank you that there's nothing and no one that's not redeemable by the power of your love and compassion. So God, help us to walk in your compassion, to give your compassion, and to live with your compassion for our world. God, as we leave now, help us to be a blessing to you. Teach us how to love you more and how to love one another. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all.